0: Brett Cannon is the manager for the distributed development team of the Python extension for VS Code. The Python extension is the most downloaded extension for VS Code. In this episode, Brett and I discuss the Python extension and VS Code. This episode of Testing Code is brought to you by ConfigCat.com. ConfigCat Feature Flag Service lets you release features faster with less risk. And by PyBytes Career Coaching. Take your career to the next level. And by listeners like you that support the show through Patreon. Thank you. Welcome to test and code, because software engineering should include more testing. Thanks so much for coming on the show again. Oh yeah, of course, anytime. Um, anytime, I'm going to take you up on that.
1: That's fine. You're welcome to you, 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 and Michael, and uh, the ChangeLog crew all have permanent uh, open, open-ended uh, acceptances to any time you want me on the podcast.
0: Awesome. Have you been on ChangeLog?
1: Yep, uh, I've been on tw- I've been on twice plus a uh, um, uh, backstage.
0: Okay, what's the backstage?
1: So, what, basically, what they do is they um, they have occasionally when they do recordings, they'll actually trim up some of the off air stuff. Uh, but what'll happen is they'll just have guests come back on to talk about just stuff so what happened was is the first time i was on the changelog um i i struck a really good um conversation i think the whole podcast recording took three and a half hours hour hour and a half amount of content (laughs) yeah adam and jared were um we were just talking off air a lot and one of the things we kept talking about was somehow ended up on the life of keanu reeves (laughs) okay um actually if you listen to my first uh thing with them they actually tack it on as an extra at the end where we talk about that anyway um after talking about it we just um obviously that leads to talking about uh john wick and all that and who has and hasn't seen the 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 movies and i think uh, adam hadn't seen all of them yet and jared and i had so we had all we started to bug each other because uh John Wick 3 was about to come out, and then we said, hey, you should go see it, and we saw it, and then after we all saw it, we actually did a whole dedicated podcast episode where we all got together and just discussed John Wick.
0: Okay, I'm going to have to listen to that, because uh, I I would have never even known. I mean, I, it it sort of was a big deal the sec, for the second and third movie, uh-huh. but um, I don't think I would have even known about the first one had my wife not said, we have to watch this. <laughs> um, so it's my wife that gets me into the good action movies.
1: Well, and honestly, the first time I watched it, I didn't actually care for it very much. I went into it with the wrong expectations. And then after watching and hearing everyone go on about how much they absolutely loved the movie, I rewatched it with a different attitude. And then I came out loving it. And then seems like I saw two and three. And then now I'm waiting for four. And they're going to have the spinoff, I think, called The Ballerina or something.
0: What? Oh.
1: Yeah. The the Ballerina from John Wick 3, I think, is getting, getting her own spinoff movie. Well, it's a good storyline. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, I really appreciate the Star Wars figurines in the case. Oh. <laughs> looks can, like can R2, Three PO and Princess Leia.
0: Yeah. Oh, uh Yep, and um uh Luke Skywalker's down. Oh, okay. There
1: there's enough reflection on the glass, it's a little hard to tell.
0: He's lying down.
1: Oh, okay, that's probably why.
0: Oh, and the stormtrooper. So
1: uh, flashbacks um, and I'm does, it, I, does he have the saber in the arm like the original?
0: Yeah, but he's the re, the real original. He's got the yellow saber. Oh, nice. So the uh, this is my this is my nerd den uh, recording studio. It's awesome. Over there that you can't see uh-huh. the, the entire wall is um, uh, made of it's uh, covered in um, what is that stuff? Velvet.
1: Mm. Oh, for deading the sound.
0: Yeah, um, because we needed it was too echoey in here at first, uh-huh. and uh, and my wife said, "Well, we have I mean, because we're kind of weird scene people, so we have bolts of, um, just fabric. bolts of the fabric around." So yeah, we put it up. So.
1: Well, this is our nerd one. So my wife's a huge fan of the Jungle Book. so we have that uh, artistic redo of the movie poster. Nice. Uh, that's the Star Wars wall. Ooh that's the Star cool. Wars alphabet and obviously R2 and then diplomas to feel good about ourselves. Uh nothing much on this wall just books and tea uh, and the Frank Wilson award but my wife insisted I put that one up somewhere. Frank what? My Frank Wilson award?
0: Huh? What'd you get that for?
1: Python. Oh, um Yeah, so so there's an annual award given out by – it's decided by the PSF and it's given out by O'Reilly. It's called the Frank Wilson Award named after Frank Wilson who was an early – who used to be an editor at O'Reilly who passed away and he was a big proponent of Python. Okay. And when he passed, they created this award in his honor and it goes to um, annually to people who have made contributions to the community. So it's not like the technical one. There, we have, There's a separate PSF technical award that they give out, not quite annually, for people who've made technical contributions, and this one's for community. And I got that uh, in 2016. Um, I was actually the first person to ever receive it in person because they always hold it at OSCON. So unless you can get a ticket to OSCON or you can get there, uh, people who got it before me never got to accept it. But uh, yeah. Andrea used to work at Anaconda. And so she had to go down for a work trip. So we, so she worked with Peter and Travis back when Travis was still at Anaconda to have me just tag along for one of her work trips. That coincided with OzCon so I could be there and take, get a free OzCon ticket and actually get the award in person. Although that there's a whole other story to that, too, because that was when um, Austin uh, passed a new background check rule. And so Lyft and Uber pulled out of the city and – uh, I, I don't know if you've been to Austin, but Austin's not a very walkable city. Yeah. So suddenly not having any taxis because they all went out of they kind of went out of business and no Uber and Lyft made it kind of hard to get around. And so actually the day I was receiving it, I was, I was told I was going to get at the end of the opening remarks that day. And it turned out they actually did it smack dab in the middle of the opening remarks. So I was busy walking across town to get to OzCon and stopping and having breakfast is just rocks in the morning. And then I show up and then I sit down and then people... Are going like, like Mike Pernat and it's like going like, where have you been? Dude? Why weren't you here? It's like, what do you mean? It's like, well, they called your name. You weren't here. Like, what are you talking about? They told me they'd call me at the end of the, at the end of the opening remarks. And then my wife stormed off, pissed. Like they totally told me wrong and they found him and they called me up later and all that. <laughs> the whole thing. Okay. Wow. Cool. So that's the Frank Wilson award.
0: I think the only award I had actually, I don't know if it, it's. I've ever gotten was um was when I was in grade school, I uh had was in a bowling league and I got most improved bowler. Oh, nice. Yeah. Uh, so I was still the worst bowler, but I was most improved. Oh, there you go. Yeah.
1: So wait, wait, when did you do this in school?
0: Oh, this was like in like I don't know third fourth grade or something like that.
1: Oh, actually, let you do that. Cool. I could, I did billiards for part of my master's degree. So. Oh, really. And, yeah, fencing while I was in junior college. Wow. Those are the weird sports I got PE credit for.
0: I I was mostly, I played football in high school.
1: American football, I assume? Yeah. Well, it's because we have Canadian football up here, which is like American football, but extra 10 meters. Mm.
0: Uh, But in free time, I spent most of my time on a skateboard. So cool. But uh, we don't don't get a letter jacket for that. Mostly Mm -hmm. get yelled at. But I wanted to actually talk to you, to you about VS Code. Um, uh, is that how you pronounce it?
1: VS Code?
0: Yeah. Uh, yes. I mean, that's what I say. But but there's some people that just call it code. And some people, that's the, is the VS, I assume, stands for Visual Studio. So does anybody sound out the whole thing?
1: Um, people on marketing sometimes. That's about the only people I know who consistently do it. Okay. The real trick is everyone always forgets the space between the VS and the code bit, including uh other people within microsoft but yeah it's pretty much everyone just calls it vs code to my knowledge
0: okay why the vs because it's not part of visual studio
1: it's part of the visual studio family oh uh there i i yeah i think basically when they launched it they wanted to have some association back to visual studio for some name recognition for those who didn't know about it and then visual studio code has taken off so much that I, it, it's almost overtaken Visual Studio in terms of the branding recognition. And so the Visual Studio aspect kind of has become a little interesting because the original Visual Studio doesn't have an extra thing on it. But like, for instance, we now have Visual Studio Online, which kind of ties back into that. And that's basically VS Code in the cloud. But basically, the, internally, what we do is we have VS Code, and we call it Big v, Big VS for main Visual Studio, and that's how we typically differentiate okay
0: i like the family analogy it's kind of it's kind of like the punk nephew yeah (laughs) um but uh vs code um so not so are you i can't remember what what's your involvement with it
1: so my official title at work is i am a principal software developing manager of the python extension for vs code so i is that on your business card just saying Uh, No, actually, because that was the title change of about a year ago, and I got my business cards before then. So I think my business cards just say Principal Software Developer, or just Software Developer, I don't remember. Uh, Basically, I manage the development team that leads the uh, Python extension for VS Code. Okay.
0: And um, how big is the team? Can you tell me?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, you just look at our GitHub repo and just totally see who the top committers are, and you'll very quickly figure it out. Uh, so our work group, so me and sibling teams that contribute to the extension. So there's the, what we call the core extension, which is, um, everything that is not our language server and not data science. Uh, that is the team I'm in charge of. And there are, um, we've got five people on the team, uh, plus me. Okay. And then we have data science, which is another, um, four depending on how you want to count and then we have language server okay which is not quite it which is run a bit more independently because the data science team directly c- commits to the same repo as us uh well uh language server do, does their own thing
0: so do the, the data science people have their own like leader or are you no. okay no. okay and uh and then uh, remind me that the um how how old is the Python extension? Uh,
1: I believe Don told me that the other day he started it October twenty seventeen, I think. So it's getting over three years at this point. Okay. it was one of the, actually one of the first extensions for VS Code. Okay, and then D-
0: Don, what's his last
1: name? J Money. Okay,
0: and he's the he's the dude that started it before it got swallowed by Microsoft. None.
1: <laughs> yeah, basically what happened was Don started in his spare time because he wanted to develop uh, some stuff on his Raspberry Pi using Python. Uh, he wanted to use that as a way to actually learn Python. Don didn't really use it before. Uh, and then he did it, and then uh, people just started to use it more and more. And what happened was, is at one point, uh, he got contracted by the VS Code team to help out to build out the extension a bit more and to help them with some things. And then, after his contract ran up, we actually extended an offer for him to join the company and officially uh, bring the extension over with him so that we could pay him full time to work on it and he's actually at the company he works on the data science side now but um yeah and then he joined uh, September of
0: 2018
1: okay oh cool so it was like just a like a year
0: outside of uh, outside of Microsoft and then now it's been um did, and you, have you been there since September of 2018
1: or? No, I've been at Microsoft now since July of 2015. Okay. But
0: like working on this project.
1: I've been working on this project since Don joined the team, joined okay. the company. Okay. So basically when Don joined, he, he and I were immediately put together and we have been working on the extension ever since.
0: Okay, right, cool. You, you having fun with it?
1: Yeah. Um, it's an interesting situation to be in because we have all these other teams getting to contribute, right? Like we, we, we as I said, we're one large work group, but uh, we have independent teams working on stuff, and we're, we're at the integration point. So, trying to work with other teams to get their stuff integrated, and trying to stay up with the community with what they need, and just trying to make sure we stay relevant and do well with against Paul Everett and PyCharm and all and everyone else who's also trying to make editing Python as wonderful as we can. Yeah. Keeps on our toes.
0: Thank you, ConfigCat, for sponsoring this episode. ConfigCat is a feature flag service. It has a central dashboard where you can toggle your feature flags visually. You can hide or expose features on your application without redeploying. You can set target rules to allow you to control who has access to new features. Easily use flags in your code with ConfigCat libraries for Python and nine other platforms. Get builds out faster, test in production, and do easy rollbacks. Release new features with less risk and release more often. With ConfigCat's simple API and clear documentation, you'll have your initial proof of concept up and running in minutes. Train new team members in minutes also, and you don't have to pay extra for team size. With the simple UI, even product managers can use it effectively. Whether you are an individual or a team, you can try it out with their forever free plan. Or get 35% off any paid plan with special code test and code all one word. Release features faster with less risk with ConfigCat. Check them out today at configcat.com. Yeah, so I, I do need to um, uh, formally apologize uh, for mentioning that there is no way to add PyTest options within within VS code, because there obviously is, there's two places. Um, so in the, you can set it in the settings, right? So, yep. exactly. Um, and I don't know where I got, I, I thought I read it somewhere in like some tutorial that you're supposed to, that you can put options within the, uh, um, uh, with that you can put the flags and you have to do it in the, any file. I don't know why I thought that. So yeah, it's- sorry about that.
1: It's honestly probably probably easiest just because it's the, it's tool neutral that way, right? Like if you put your settings in your PyTest.ini file, you don't have to care about whether someone else on the team is using VS Code or not. Obviously, I hope they are, but it's nice that if you can do it that way so that it's tied more to the tool, the tool that you're actually running versus the tool you're using to run the other tool, it's probably the most portable. But yeah, we do have support in the settings to actually specify the exact flags you want passed to PyTest.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, like if you want to like add verbosity or, um, uh, you know, zoom in on something by like uh, using a, a keyword flag to to select a test or something like that, you're not going to check that in. So, um, so it's good to have some other place. But, uh, um, yeah, but so the uh, there's actually it's really come a long way. The testing support um, was a little, actually, I maybe it was just me but I was confused by it at first and now it is very clean and I like it.
1: Well, just to help toot your own horn, Brian, your feedback was actually one of the big motivators for us to put some time and effort <laughs> into cleaning it up. So I partially blame you.
0: <laughs> no, that, that well, good. Yeah, uh, that's good. Um, yeah. So one of the cool, there's a lot of cool stuff about it. Um, there's uh, a really, okay. So um, I did some complaining earlier. But so I'll, I'll say the things that I love. I really like that the, the, uh, the dis- when discovery is working where, as it's supposed to, um, it's, uh, it, which is most of the time, unless I've done something weird. Um, the, uh, the discovery ahead of time is pretty cool. So that you, you can just, even with parameterization, you can, you can figure out which test you want to run before you run it. And all the different selectors, you can just go down and select it. Um, the, uh, the other thing that I, I just actually didn't know this was here before. So I was just running some code um, uh, earlier today. And the the way when you look in the uh, test browser part, um, there's like, there's a little like icon that you can just go right to the output. Um, and I used to, what do I did do before? Down at the bottom, if you ran ran a te- set of tests, you could go to the bottom and there was a little, like, at the... What do you call that? A toolbar or something to the bottom? The status bar? Status bar. Um, You could see the status of your test. And if you could click on that and say, go show me the output. And that's how I used to do it, which is definitely totally not the easiest way to get to the output. So, um, yeah. So it's a, it's a it's really kind of been becoming a lot of fun. Um, to be able to run different levels, and uh, I don't know right now how much is really lacking. That it's pretty great. So
1: yeah, well, what happened was, is around the time you you, you brought your 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 feedback forward, um, we we took a hard look at where our testing was, and we knew we wanted to improve it. And uh, around that, shortly before, I think uh, VS Code said. Uh, that extensions could contribute to the activity bar, which is the far left column that has all the icons for like search and the file, and the file explorer, and your um, version control uh, uh, view and all that stuff. And they included a default icon for tests. And so we decided, all right, well, this is a chance for us to kind of move away from the pure text output that we had previously and try to give a more uh, A better user experience. Um, uh, Well, on your episode with Paul, uh, he he painted uh, editors and IDEs as kind of providing a visualization, more or less, kind of painting a visualization of these tools that you normally wouldn't be able to get. And on VS Code, we very much uh, try to treat the extension as basically providing you visualization integration with your code from the tools you normally would run from the terminal. And so to Really make it an improvement and worth more than just running PyTest or unit tests from your terminal. We realized we wanted a nice tree view. And so what happened was is Eric Snow, a uh, FiliCore developer and on my team, uh, he ended up developing a PyTest plugin for test discovery. And then once we had that, we were able to get the hierarchical view. And that's why, for instance, we can show you individual parameterized tests and actually have those execute individually versus running the entire. Uh, test function that has that's fully parameterized because pytest discover when we run pytest discovery, we're a plugin, we just see everything pytest sees, so we just record that. And when we had that, we just realized, well, we might as well just do a full tree and just do what people basically expect. And then that led us to doing that. And then we still have the raw text output because obviously, whenever you try to do a visualization over another tool, you you want to get the, you want to get the basics down really nicely, but you don't want to try to necessarily fit everything into a view because you will miss corners. PyTest updates pretty regularly and very well, which means there can be new stuff that we can't get too fast enough. So we do kind of need that escape hatch uh, to be able to let you see the output. And as you said, we have a button now where it'll just pop up the output panel to show you the, the test output so you can just see the raw output and be able to work with it as necessary.
0: Yeah, so you also want to like be able to like see the uh, traceback and stuff. Or is that somewhere... Mm-hmm else other than the output. No
1: we haven't exposed that anywhere else. We've kind of just left that right now straight in the uh output window just to keep it simple. Yeah.
0: Okay. Well it's um it's pretty clean uh anyway. I I'm pretty happy with it right now. So cool.
1: the team will be very happy to hear that.
0: <laughs> um one of the things that confused me and I was hope there's um because I'm apparently I'm just easily confused. Um the 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 support and I don't know with the versions or the history, but there was a time where uh, both VS Code and, and PyCharm were sort of like figuring out how to do virtual environments, or whatever. Yeah. And But now it's, for the most part, like gets it right. It, like if you stick a virtual environment, so I, I have the default of doing, putting a V venv V, or I, I have, I know people that do venv. I think you're a .person. I am a dot person. Um, so VS Code will like just, if it's in your in the top directory, it just figures it out. Um, so I don't know. Yeah.
1: So the story behind that is on the extension, we try not to reinvent the wheel. We realize that for a lot of things, there's a pre-existing tool in the Python community that people are already using. And that's, it's better for us just to integrate with other tools than it is to try to reinvent them. Right, like we don't have our own formatter, we just let you use black or yeah for autopep8. We don't have a full-on linter that does style stuff. Right, like our language server will do some, will do some critical like error detection for you, so you always have something. But like we're not going to run all the things up flake8 and Pilot will tell you about like camel case versus not and all that stuff. So we've always been a big uh, believer in trying to integrate with the tools that already are there. Because of that, though, that does mean that you need to have the tools installed to be able to use them. Now, the interesting thing is is some people install tools globally, and they always want to use that globally installed tool. Other people don't want to have a specific version of a tool installed per project, right? For instance, PyTest. Let's say PyTest 6 comes out and removes all the deprecated stuff in PyTest 5. That might not work for you because you may not have upgraded your test code or whatever to be able to run up PyTest six. So suddenly you're potentially in trouble. So we try to reuse the tools as you've installed them. Now, doing that, though, means you really want a virtual environment, because if you do a global install, it's not going to be what you want necessarily. So as an extension, we try to move people towards the concept of virtual environments, which means we've had to make sure that when you say, hey, I, I've set it up for PyTest. We have to help you install it. But once we help you install it, we want to make sure you do the right thing. And in that case, that's the virtual environment. So we've had to set up the code such that we watch your workspace. And the, as soon as a new directory is added at the top level, we check. Is there a file? Oh, there is. Okay. Well, then we can notify you that, hey, we notice you've, you've created this new virtual environment. Do you want to use it? Yes or no. And that way, it, we've tried to make it as smooth as possible because we think virtual environments are a very good thing. But unfortunately, are not known as widely as we'd hope. Or at least I personally would hope. Yeah. And so this is just one of the ways we're trying to kind of move that boat forward. We have bigger plans to try to help people with setup and stuff, but that's kind of farther down the road.
0: Yeah, I, I have a disagreement with the I know that there's some, some people that teach Python that uh-huh. think that you should not introduce virtual environments right away uh-huh. because it's just an extra confusion thing. Uh-huh. My reason for th- disagreeing with that is I think a lot of people get about an hour of of training and then leave and just go run with it um so it's kind of important to get that in fast i think
1: i mean my opinion would be it's okay to start people off in the repl and launching little bits of code that only use the standard library initially but as soon as you start to teach people installation and you teach people how to use pip or something that's when you should immediately teach people virtual environments in my opinion I, I do realize that is it is an extra thing and it is extra cognitive overhead but as you said I, I've been in those tutorials right where you spend you spend a day teaching people something and they will very easily leave and walk away and go do things and like a lot of people if you know enough to be dangerous and just to get stuff done you will stay dangerous getting your stuff done and you won't necessarily take the time to learn more of what the next thing to do is which because you might not know right if you learn python for a day and you get far enough to learn how to use pip but you haven't learned virtual environments how would you even learn about virtual environments unless you decide to expand out and read more tutorials or a yeah. blog post or who knows what to happen to mention that these virtual environments exist and why you should use them otherwise you could very easily go for the rest of your days just just blowing out your global install of python and installing a ton of random stuff and not go, and re, not understanding why that's a problem. And when that day happens, having a mess of a time trying to clean up your, your installation or figure out what went wrong. So I, I think at least there should be a passing mention as soon as Pip is in, in, um, mentioned this. Like, hey, we might not be covering it today, but do learn what virtual environments are if you're going to do any serious work because it's going to save your life at some point. And it's totally worth the overhead of learning it. And so I understand I'll be able to fit it in necessary, but I would definitely not let people leave knowing how to use pip without also knowing that at least virtual environments exist.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good idea. Thank you PiBytes for sponsoring this episode. I've been a fan of PiBytes code challenges for a long time. It's a great way to practice Python and get better every day. I really love the learning paths where you can choose different aspects of the language you want to learn and do a series of related challenges. Bob and Julian The people behind PyBytes have also started doing something cool to help people level up with Python. They're trying to help people with career paths and career coaching. Very cool. You can go to PyBytes and under services, check out coaching. There's also a link in the show notes. If you not only want to get better at Python, but you want to focus your efforts in a way that advances your career, consider some coaching from Brahma Julian at PyBytes. The pytest flags you can get to them by, it's up in the settings. Well, so right, right, if right away, if you open your project and and VS Code is not seeing your tests, um, you do like I don't know how to get get it
1: otherwise. It's like the Control Shift P or something. And, yes, Control Shift P or uh, Command Shift P if you're on Mac.
0: Okay, and you you um, bring up um, that setting stuff and you can type test and you'll get to the configure configure tests or something. Dialogue. So
1: there, so there's a couple ways to do it. So one is if you bring up the command palette, which is the control shift P yeah. thing, if uh, sublime text users are probably very familiar with this, uh, you can run discover tests. And if you have never configured testing, we will prompt you saying your tests are not set up. Would you like to? And then what we'll mm-hmm. do is we ask we ask you, which test runner do you use? PyTest or UnitTest? Uh, we also have no support, but it's kind of, honestly just sitting there since nose is not really supported on its own uh and then on that we ask you a couple more questions so if you do PyTest, for instance we ask what directory do your tests live in and then we will write out the settings for you the other option is as you said you can just open up your settings once again easiest ways through the command palette just type settings and then you can open your user settings or your workspace settings and then in there based um you're almost like you want to put it in your workspace settings because that's going to be tied to your project, what your settings are. You can manually do it either through the um, UI, or honestly, that's just back. That's backed by a JSON file that you can directly edit as well. And you can just add the JSON keys. I mean, honestly, I always use JSON, but that's just out of habit because I've been using VS Code long enough. I predate the UI.
0: Okay. I didn't know that I can get to settings through the uh, command palette.
1: Everything is through the command palette. The entire system is designed to be run through that command palette. It's very much, it, I think that's one of the reasons VS Code has really caught on with some of the uh, more Unixy folk who used to be like hardcore Vim users and uh, not so much Emacs users. Those people are special. Uh, I get to say that because I know Barry Warsaw personally. <laughs> um but like we've had a lot of Vim converts because the Vim plugins, uh the Vim extension for VS Code is really good. And a lot of people love the Vim bindings, but they wanted a more uh UI based editor in terms of just like actually having a file menu kind of thing.
0: Yeah, I probably would have tried this first if Sublime wasn't around.
1: Yeah, if... oh exactly, right? And, and I used to be a Sublime user before I joined uh Microsoft and VS Code became a thing. I was I was totally a, a Sublime user.
0: Yeah, the Vim the Vim bindings are great, actually. Yeah. Um and I I kind of forget that everybody doesn't use vim bindings everywhere. <laughs> um, but
1: uh, it's an acquired taste, but once you've acquired it, it's hard to get rid of.
0: I do like also I guess while we're on that topic, the the uh, the GQ works correctly in VS Code. Mm-hmm.
1: So which is- Yeah, it's really surprising what what um how 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 good how good the support is in that extension.
0: Um so the uh, tell me the the settings, tell me the there's two kinds of settings, right? There's, um, there's user and, and and what's the other one?
1: So you can there's technically three, uh, but it's easier to think about it in terms of two levels. So there's user settings and there's workspace settings. So user settings are literally the settings that you as a user want for the editor itself, right? This is stuff that transcends uh, any of your code that you use, right? So this is going to be like what your preferred font is, that kind of thing. And then you have workspace settings, and those are tied to the folders that you open in the editor. That's your workspace. So if you were to open Brian's te- cool testing project, you would have workspace settings in there that would differentiate from Brian's crazy crazy idea uh, workspace. So that you can have like Pytest settings here that you want for what, what for whatever reason for just that workspace, and you can have separate ones uh, for your other workspaces. So that's the key difference. It's basically things that apply to the editor no matter what code and what directory you have open, and then things are basically directory-specific, which are per workspace. Now, there is a middle one. Um, VS Code has a concept of multi-root workspaces, and probably people who have done microservices probably know what what I'm talking about, where basically you um, you can have a workspace file, and what you can do is you can open multiple directories in a single workspace, and each of those individual directories can have their own settings as well. But you can also have an overarching one. So if you have a microservice architecture, right, and you need to open up, let's say, two or three different microservices that you're working on, you can create a single workspace that has three other directories tied into it. And then you can have one set of settings that covers all three um, directories on top of individual settings per directory. So, like in the extension, for instance, we actually, if you open a multi-root workspace, we actually will try to flip around what Python environment you selected based on which uh, file you opened open in which directory. So you can have directories A, B, and C all in one workspace in a multi-root workspace. And if you have A set to Python 3.6 and B set to 3.5 and C set to, God forbid, 2.7, we will flip around the environment as appropriate as you look at those files.
0: How do I get to a multi-root workspace? Is that a... Is uh,
1: that... If I remember correctly, you can literally just open a folder and then you can... I think it's, there's a way to just add another folder and then it'll make it into a multi-root workspace. There's also okay. open workspace as an option. And basically, you can just choose a directory where you kind of want the the settings to live. Um, and then that's really all it is. It's literally a .workspace. Uh, file. I think there's another part to the file name, and then that'll map in your settings plus what directories are part of that workspace. So if you just open that file, it'll actually pop open in your uh, file explorer all those individual directories that are part of it.
0: That's more more cool than I knew before. So that's neat.
1: Yeah, it's also really handy too. If you even even if you have a single project that has like just multiple little parts to it, like in the extension, we have a multi workspace that'll open up like. Separate sections because we have some like little tools written in Python. It'll actually open those up as a folder at the top level so that they operate as if they're a top level thing, even though they're embedded in our folder uh, structure. So it can be really handy. It's, it gets a little complicated in terms of support just because yeah. you're jumping around. They're kind of isolated things, but they're being viewed at a higher level. Okay. Um, but when you need them, they're really handy.
0: So one of the questions I have is, do they? how do they combine? So, of the the flag, the flags and stuff, or the options. So, if uh, I-,
1: I believe the so at the API level, VS Code can let you either just ask for the setting, and it'll do the resolution, or I believe you can actually ask at what level you specifically want, specifically want a setting. Uh, I believe workspace settings trump uh, multi-root workspace settings, which trump uh, user settings. So, pretty much the way you would think the 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 more specific wins.
0: Okay, but it, they don't combine. Like
1: no, they'll well, they'll 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 map over each other. Like it's a flat view. So okay. at the API level, what you so like for instance, uh, setting your Pytest settings that would be uh, Python dot args right for flags to pass to Pytest. Yeah. In the API, we just literally say okay, from the Python dot testing namespace, give me Pytest args. Okay. And then it just works its way up the tree of of settings to just find out where it is. And then you can ask later, like, okay, where did you get this from? Can you tell me what scope? And I'll tell you, well, this is workspace or this was user or whatever. Okay. Usually, you don't need to care. Um, technically, like, in-
0: like for instance, I just I can't put like uh, a like in for for like a parallel testing and a dash v or something at my uh, user settings, and then oh, you put- good. But, but then also put keywords at the, uh, workspace settings. Cause they,
1: Oh no, the, 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 there's no merging right. of, of the exact same settings. No. So the one you put at the workspace level will trump the ones at your user level. So okay. we, co- we basically, uh, we could as an extension, try to make that work. Uh, that'd be kind of messy. So probably not. Uh, yeah. so I'm not going to say there, we plan to do that ever. Um, <laughs> You could try to convince us otherwise, Brian. Uh, but yeah, we don't try to like merge arrays across the same setting at different levels. and No, I,
0: I actually think that's good because the weird use case that I brought up might make sense. But what's probably going to happen is somebody sets the flags and it doesn't do what they expect it to do. And they're like, what the heck? And it's because there was the other one set. Or something.
1: Right, and then you have to think about, oh, well, could it be one of my settings? Then you got to open up all your settings to scale back up, and like, well, it's not my user settings; it's, it's my workspace settings. Now, luckily, the settings editor has a toggle at the top where you can jump between two tabs that show workspace and user, so it's pretty easy to flip back and forth. But you still got to think about that and know that that's there. And yeah, trying to debug that would not be fun.
0: Well, it messed me up. I'm like, it's not working um, because I had set user settings once before which I didn't expect to just live on forever because I just didn't understand user and workspace settings before, so yeah. that makes sense. Uh, for some reason, uh, I don't know, yeah, workspace. Workspace is a, is a like a project then. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool.
1: One other, actually, one other really interesting thing about settings that I don't think a lot of people know is, at least as an extension, we can flag which of our settings are machine specific. So I don't know if you use uh, containers or anything at your work, but uh, VS Code has really good uh, remote development support. So we can actually flag like, so like you can set the path to pilot, right? If you have a global install, but we have that flagged as a machine setting. So if you have that set in your user settings on your machine, it actually won't propagate when you connect remotely into a Docker container and run or WSL and run your tools that way because it's considered tied to your machine. So even though you have it set as a user setting, if you do a remote connection to another machine, it won't propagate it over knowing that it will apply over there, it won't make sense. So the setting system is actually pretty impressive in VS Code.
0: So I can use um, VS Code to, to like uh, edit. So I've got like a Linux Docker um, huh? image or something. Huh?
1: Okay, It's yeah. very slick actually. Um, what VS Code basically does is, if you connect to a, if you point out a Docker container, what it will do is it'll use uh, Docker Compose, and it will layer on a headless VS Code server, and run a VS Code server in the Docker container on your behalf, and then uh, connect to that headless container. So basically, it's it's kind of like a, a VS Code's take on X11, almost, right? So on your machine. Uh, you're going to have all the UI stuff, but all the commands and all the executions actually going to be occurring on the Docker container okay. through the headless server. Okay. Got so it. everything's nice and fast, uh, UI-wise and everything. But you get all the proper like the terminal is going to be in the container, the settings are going to be in the container and based on that machine. All all the view of everything that has any impact is going to be actually be coming out of the container, versus while the UI is still just running locally on your machine.
0: So I, it just works how I expect it would work, and and yep. uh, and I don't have to care about all the work that went in to make that simple.
1: Exactly, and it works for containers, it works for WSL, and it actually works for SSH as well. Okay. And it's really popular with Python users, apparently.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, I don't. What would I, what would people use it for? For I don't know, lots of stuff. Yep. Um. So any uh, any cool things and that I might not know about that you think are neat within uh vs code or python versions or
1: so actually our debugger is really good uh we actually contract with fabio of pydevd uh he actually uh, does a lot of contract work with us so we're able to get a lot of the bug fixes into pydevd uh as necessary and that actually does trip uh, i assume trickles back up even to pycharm because i know they use pydevd as well um but the debugger support's really good uh For instance, we have one crazy feature we blogged about in February that we thought not enough people knew about. So we actually explicitly called it out uh, because it actually landed a couple months before. Uh, We have uh, support for something called jump to cursor. So let's say you're debugging and you hit a breakpoint and you go, okay, uh, this isn't looking quite right. I want to try this again. Try this chunk of code again, but I want to change like a setting. So what you can do is in the variable editor, in the variable view, you can go in and manually change the variable, and then you can say jump to cursor, and you can actually right click, choose jump to cursor, and execution will jump to that line in the code, and then just continue on. So it's actually a it's actually a debugging go to.
0: It's not okay. It's not just setting a breakpoint and then running to the breakpoint.
1: It basically, it is, but uh, in Python, right, you got to remember, at least in uh, CPython, the interpreter, all, all the way execution works, right, is you have an execution frame. And the execution frame says, I'm executing this file, I'm executing this bytecode at this position, right? So, what we can do is in the execution frame, we can actually change those values to say, all right, we're no longer executing at that line, we're actually now executing at that line. And then the interpreter doesn't know any difference, so it just goes to the next line. So we're able to through through the UI actually cause you to jump to a whole nother position. You can actually jump outside of, to a whole other function in the middle of it. You can oh, do whatever. So you're, you're
0: not you're not running all this stuff in between, you're actually just changing mm-hmm. where you're executing. Mhm. Oh wow.
1: Which yeah. can be really funky and cool if you've been having a long running process or spent a lot of time loading like really expensive data. Like data scientists have come to us going like how can I make this load faster because I have to spend 10 minutes loading this data set. And other than the usual trick of, like, we'll preload and just try to pickle it or store it somehow temporarily so that the load times loads the data load, not having to hit your database to run a query. The other way to do it is run it, hit a breakpoint, and then if you need to tweak something, tweak it in the variables view or whatever, and then just use the jump to cursor to jump back to where you want it to go to see the result of if you ran that code again with those different values. And that way you don't have to rerun all your startup.
0: Oh, that is cool. Yeah. Yeah. It was hard to hard to get in a little tweet though. So,
1: yeah, if you if you read our if you go to our blog, uh, it's aka.ms slash python blog. If you go to the February blog post, we actually talk about it, and there's a little gif that'll make it a lot more apparent. Uh, but it's just one of those cool little things that you just don't know about unless you just really dive deep into the tool. That it, 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 you're not going to need every day, but when you need it, oh boy, is it handy!
0: So, what's in the future for? Uh, for the python extension uh
1: there's a lot of things unfortunately that i can't talk about um as of right now lately we've been doing a lot of work on our data science support so um we support jupyter notebooks and we have an interactive window and all that kind of thing you can actually uh we have both a view that's much more like a notebook and we have this interactive window um, approach as well, where you have the editor and you have the execution cells on the side. So it's not a full blown notebook experience, but in terms of like the markdown and all that in between, but it is, but you get the full editor view of VS code and then the cell execution of highlighted code and getting to see the result and work that way. If you want, Um, we've been putting a lot of work in that. There's a lot of work happening in the um, behind the scenes on the language server. Uh, Can't talk about, but people should be looking forward to when that comes out. Uh, and then we got some other things that we have some ideas on once again, unfortunately I I don't like talking roadmaps because it's one of those things. As soon as I talk about or give dates, everyone starts to hold you to it. And I don't want to put that on my team or any of my, uh, teammates. Yeah. Uh, but we got stuff coming. Uh, we do release monthly, so it's easy just to read the blog posts every month, uh, written by our wonderful PMs, especially our main PM Luciana. And you just keep on checking that and see what we're, Cranking out.
0: Yeah, but I mean, okay, the specific stuff I get, but it does make sense to like to, it seems like you can kind of say, well, we're kind of focusing on more data science stuff for a while, or, you know, the, don't hold your breath because there ain't going to be any new test stuff for a long time. or um,
1: So, what I'll say is right now, the focus, so data science is doing their thing, the language server is doing our t- thing. On our side, as of right now, you could say we're kind of focusing on the first five minutes of the experience.
0: I think so that's great. That's,
1: that's getting set up on getting your virtual environment set up, getting the, uh, ex- getting the editor up and running and just getting you kind of set up in your experience. Uh, that's what we're probably going to be focusing on in the short term.
0: Okay, nice. Um, and then you, um, I rushed to buy it briefly, but you can, you can run uh, um, Xargs or X, what do they call it? Uh, X dist, right? Um, so that you can uh, do parallel testing does yes. that
1: work with yes.
0: okay
1: yeah it fine yeah cool I think we actually even mention in our docs
0: yeah who reads the docs are the manual who reads that? that yeah
1: oh i know i, I i'm the I, i'm currently the person who answers all the questions on stack overflow for the extension so i i, under, I understand people don't read the manual i i, I the long history of everyone it, it's i'm very used to it it's 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 unfortunate though because we actually have really good tech writers that help us with our documentation so it's actually not being written by us our our tech writers do a great job writing them for us so they're actually pretty high quality so i i honestly wish people would read them a bit more because they're really well done
0: okay yeah no i and i don't don't mean to diss anybody like that at all because no, 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 it's fine uh, hey,
1: I, we, we're, as, I, as we were talking about earlier it's very easy to just Learn enough to be dangerous and get going and there's not ever take the time to learn more because it's time, right? We only we only have so much of it. And so it's not necessarily a priority to want to sit down and read documentation from beginning to end.
0: Yeah. Well, I just, uh, when I was uh, playing around with VS Code this morning, um, it told me that I, I probably so I'm doing a lot of Markdown files. I should probably download Markdown Lint. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's an extension that looks pretty cool. And it just told me how horribly formatted my markdown was. Which, uh, <laughs> so, um, thanks. Uh, the other thing is, okay. So one of the things that I was a little confused about is the little testing beaker that shows up or the te- or whatever that's called. Um, what causes that to show up? Because sometimes it doesn't show up right away.
1: Yeah, so I'm going to say it's actually a little—it's a little complicated because we um, we run experiments in the extension. Uh, we try to be a very data-driven team, so uh, we try to do things based on what our users actually ask for, either implicitly or explicitly, based on what features they use in the extension or what they explicitly ask on GitHub. Like we actually pay attention to the up and down votes, the the thumbs up and the thumbs down on issues on uh, what to prioritize and uh, one of the things we're trying to experiment with is what would happen if we always showed the beaker. Uh, technically by default we only showed if you've configured testing uh, cuz we try not to clutter your view if you're not going to if you if you're not going to use this to run tests which is totally fine. We don't want to take up valuable space in the activity bar so we don't show it. But we do have an experiment where we do show it consistently. If we if we have any s- signal at all that you have tests we show it and just like it's there. It won't be populated. You'll have to discover tests, but it'll show up. So, as of right now, um, it is one of the it is one of the, the sticking points we're trying to figure out is how to help with discoverability of our testing support and how to get more people to use it. Um, so that's what that experiment's about is trying to figure out ways to try to get the word out more or less while you're using the editor. Because as as we've just discussed. People, not everyone reads the docs, which is totally fine. So we had to figure out a way to kind of expose these things to people who have not read any of the documentation and notice that we have testing support. Okay, so, so if
0: the beaker doesn't show up and you don't know why, you have to config. You go
1: configure the tests. Yeah, literally just run the command discover tests, and it'll just walk you through setting it up, and that and then it'll show up once the tests um, once the settings are set. Basically, we'll just we'll just notice that you have settings set for it, and we'll assume you want to do it, whether the, the test discovery succeeds or not. And then from there, it's just either it succeeds or you see what the failures are and try to fix your tests because sometimes test discovery just doesn't work. Sure.
0: Yeah, yeah. what well, the only the the only time like, the thing that I can I know that consistently breaks it, um, and I don't think it's I guess it's just normal. There's a lot of imports happen when you're doing test discovery. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, if there's if there's code in in if there's syntax errors in your in your Python code in your test directory, discovery gets gets broken.
1: But- yeah, I I do the exact same thing. If I'm typing something out and I habitually save in the middle of typing something and I'm not syntactically uh, valid Python, it'll blank out the discovery because suddenly there's nothing to discover because PyTest throws a syntax error and I like well I, I can't analyze this source to figure out where all the test functions are it's not even valid Python code so yeah
0: okay yeah. cool well um thanks for, for all of that of course anytime <laughs> and uh, we'll talk to you
1: later alright talk to you later
0: thank you Brett Thank you for your work on, with VS Code and with Python. And it's always fun to have you on the show. Thank you configcat.com for sponsoring. Configcat feature flag service lets you release features faster with less risk. Thank you PyBytes for sponsoring. Check out their Python career coaching and take your career to the next level. And thank you listeners that support the show through Patreon. Join them by going to testandcode.com support. All of those links and the links to items we talked about in the show or in the show notes at testingcode.com slash 117. That's all for now. Now go out and test something.